Okay, good morning. Um, children, you could be dismissed for junior church. And for the rest of you, would you turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 42 through 47. Acts 2, 42 through 47. This is just uh, days after uh, the Lord Jesus has uh, been crucified and then risen again. And then he spent a number of days here on earth connecting with people. Um, in Galatians, we, uh, 1 Corinthians, we see that he met with almost four, 500 people. Um, he was laying his power upon these disciples and preparing for them. We see in the beginning of Acts that they were replacing one of the disciples, Judas, who uh, betrayed Christ and is dead now. And they've replaced him, and now the Holy Spirit has fallen upon uh, this, this group of men. And as they're preparing, they're, they're meeting in a small upper room. Uh, the number could be 120. Um, it could be upwards of 500 people that are now preparing for uh, the message. And then there's one among them, Peter. Now, Peter is a fisherman. Now, Peter um, didn't have any formal training when it came to uh, teaching. He didn't have any formal training when it came to um, uh, going to seminary or getting a bunch of degrees. Peter was a fisherman. But he, he wasn't just a fisherman. We find that he, he knew the word. He, he had read the word. He had listened in his, in his church of his time. And so that when Jesus came... Jesus completed his ministry, completed his training, and he spent three years at the feet of the greatest teacher in the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he heard Jesus preach. He saw Jesus live. He lived out that life. And then Peter was given the awesome privilege of that first message, the first message to begin the church ministry. And as he preached this sermon, once again, no seminary degrees, no letters after his name, he preached a message that was amazing. He preached with boldness. This one who had been so fearful just, just before had now found the gospel message, loved the gospel message, and proclaimed it with all vigor and might. He proclaimed it in such a way that I can't even imagine. Can you imagine 3,000 people getting saved after you preach one message? I mean, it's like, you know, that is utterly amazing. Can you imagine our church, our small church, going from this church now to 3,000 additional members? And then it doesn't just say this. It says that every day God was continuing to add to their numbers. And what do you do? You've got this brand new church, 120, maybe 500 people, and now we've got 3,000 people here. How do you minister to them? What do you do? Well, what we've been working through over these last several weeks and what we'll be working through through the rest of the next couple of months are the vital signs of an early church. And those vital signs, very honestly, come right out of Scripture. How this church was set up as a, as a body of believers and how they were going to minister to other believers and how they were going to go out and speak the gospel message. Pastor Doug last week got us started by talking about the idea of evangelism. Evangelism. 
Once again, you don't need any degrees. He had talked about the fact that some of us struggle with fear. That's to be expected. We all have some levels of fear. But being able to get to a place where you, you know the gospel, you love it, and you live it out in your lives, you live it out in your communities, you live it out in your families, that's just so amazing. And to be able to take that message that God could have given the gospel message in the skies, God has chosen to use people like you and me to share that good news of faith and hope and healing with others. And then he moves us to the place of discipleship. I know, I, I almost entitled the message this morning, The D Word, because it's, it's not that fancy. It's like nobody really enjoys discipleship. But I can tell you, there is nothing more exciting than being able to take a young baby and see that young baby grow in their faith. To be able to see that person go from hearing the gospel message and now being regenerated by God and brought to faith in God, and now they've been converted. And then what ends up happening is that now they start to grow. Remember in John chapter 15, it says this, that I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abides in me will bear much fruit, for without me you can do what? Nothing. That when you're in Christ, what God now does is he disciples you and he teaches you what it means to be a believer in Christ, what it means to know the scriptures and where he goes. Well, let's talk a little bit about this early church. And it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, it says this, And they, the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and a generous heart, praising God and having favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You could see that this Christian community shared a life of in life in common. They were, they were connected to one another. And what was connecting them was the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching, they, were, they, had this, they didn't have the you know, total scriptures that you and I have. They had their Old Testament scriptures, so the apostles were preaching from the Old Testament, and they were showing how the Old Testament from Genesis all the way to Malachi was showing Christ. And then as these apostles, the Holy Spirit was laid upon them, they were given the inspiration to write books that you and I have today. Now we have this completed canon that we hold in our hands. That a healthy church, a vibrant church, is a church that is going to be devoted to the teaching of the word of God. You'll see that a vibrant church is also a fellowshipping church. This vibrant church, this koinonia, they were in participation with one another, sharing with one another, gathering together. They were even gathering together with uh, fellowship meals. Now, whether that meal is like the meal that we have at the end, or whether it's the communion service that we'll talk about later, Whatever it is, they were communing with one another. There was a fellowship. It wasn't that they just left right after service was over, right, Pastor Tim? They actually stayed around in fellowship with one another. Even if we don't have food in the back, they're back here fellowshipping with one another. We do like breaking bread, though, right? They were praying together. And what God was doing in their lives was this. There was an amazing awe that was coming upon them because the Holy Spirit was doing something amazing in their lives. He was transforming them. 
and changing them day after day so that they were seeing more and more signs and powers that were happening among them. And they had all things in common. It wasn't just my stuff. It was all of our things. And that what God has given me, I want to share with you. He has given me this gospel message. I want to share it with you. He has given me this opportunity. I want to share this blessing with you. They had all things in common. What they actually did was they actually sold their possessions and gave it to people in need. There was a generosity among these believers. They, they had this great generosity, and it was bent around this idea of being able to praise God. As they praised God and they saw what God was doing in their lives, he saw that God was looking to change them and bring glory and honor to his name. They were worshiping him. And day after day after day, people were being saved. I want that for us. I want to see people hearing the good news of faith and lives being changed. I was saying to Don when we had our Come and See Sunday, I want to be able to see a day where we don't need a Come and See Sunday. That it is just part of our DNA to do what Pastor Doug had preached on last week, to evangelize. To share this good news that we have been given and not hold on to it. And that as we share that good news, not just verbally, but also in our lives, and we share this, and that there's something different about you. Have you ever had anybody say to you, there's something different about you? That's the Holy Spirit working in and through your life. That's what I'd love to be able to see here. What we see here in this early church is that they had certain priorities. Their priorities were teaching, fellowship, worshiping, praying, giving, witnessing, and reproducing. Turn with me to Matthew 28. Because I think that came from the last statement that Jesus was going to make to his believers here. He was going to say this to his apostles, and he's, it's a message that you're very familiar with. But it's the message not only to the apostles, but it's the message to, to us today. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, it says this, verse 16. Now the eleven apostles, or disciples, now Judas is not there, went to Galilee and the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, what did they do? They worshipped him. But some doubted. I like that line. I like the line in the fact that, you know what? They'd seen the risen Christ, but they still had their doubts. They still had their fears. They still had some of their insecurities. You and I have the same. You're not going to walk out of here just the perfect preacher or the perfect evangelist or the perfect witness. None of us are. We don't have a perfect hour in our lives. They doubted. But what did they do? They went back to Christ. And then they, what did they do? They listened to what Christ said. And Jesus came to them and said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? Me, Christ. Go, therefore, and do what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then what do you do? Teach them. Teach them to observe all that have commanded and behold, I am with you. So when you feel insecure, when you feel as though you can't do it, guess what? I am with you, even to the end of the age. That the risen Christ has given us a, a great commission. Some of them doubted. But we needed to rest in the authority of Christ, that it is Jesus' authority. He exercises absolute authority through heaven and earth. He shows it in his deity, and now he has granted that power to you 
to speak for him. There's an imperative here. He says, go and therefore make disciples. Now, some say that this is only a missionary. You've probably been to a number of missions conferences in your time, and they'll use this verse, and they'll say going means that you have to go to some foreign land. Um, but if you actually look at the language behind it, it's as you go. It's not simply that I have to go to a foreign land in order to be a witness for Christ. As I go throughout my life, witnessing. Doug was talking about uh, just even at the gas station, right? Being able to witness. The person in the supermarket, being able to witness. My kids sometimes laugh at me because I, I actually look at their name badge. And I say their name. I want to make contact with them because they're somebody that is real. Somebody that was created by God, who loves them, who sent his son to die for them. And they need that good news of faith. Jesus Christ gives the imperative that we need to make disciples. He is calling you and he's calling me. He's not calling just simply the elders to do this. He's calling every single one of us to make disciples. He talks about going and baptizing them. That's evangelism, that once they're, baptized, once they're evangelized in that early church, there was not a huge gap between evangelism when they were saved and they showed the sign of that they were accepting Christ by going into the waters of baptism. So that's the evangelism portion, go and baptize. And then it says, teach them. Teach them truth. Teach them what God has given us. Teach them not only truth, but then he says, teach them to do what? To observe and obey. And that's what discipleship is. Discipleship is taking somebody to a place where you teach them truth and you show them how to practically live that truth out in their lives. God has given us an amazing book that he wants to give to you to tell you who he is and who you are and why God has created you, teaching. So it seems pretty clear that the, the message that we have is that we're called to make disciples. You know, our core belief here at the church is what? God changes people through what? Vital relationships. I think I had shared with you months ago that I see the vision of our church and the vision of any church and the vision of any individual should be our ultimate desires to glorify God. That if we make it our aim to glorify God in thought, word, attitude, and action in our lives, individually, every single one of you, and as we call that desire to be able to glorify him, to reflect him, to display him to a world, that should be the ultimate desire of every single person that sits in this room today. But it's not only our desire, then there's a duty that we have. And Jesus Christ makes the duty very clear. He says, proclaim, the proclaim me and proclaim the cross. And as I proclaim Christ and as I proclaim the cross, what am I going to be doing? I'm going to be making disciples. That's your duty. That's mine. And where do we make that destination? See, if our desire is to glorify God and if our duty is to proclaim Christ and his cross and make disciples, where's the destination? Washington. Warren County, even the world. And that maybe there are people that are sitting here today that are going to take that good news of faith to the world. But you are here in Washington. You're here in Warren County, and you've been given this good news of faith. Are you sharing that today with me? Can you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12? In Hebrews chapter 12, The writer is telling us about Jesus. 
And he's giving us an example of what is happening right now in heaven for you and for me. It says, therefore, since we have been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the thing that clings so closely to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And who do we look to? Looking to Jesus. Who is he? He's the founder and the perfecter of your faith. That Jesus Christ is the one that brought you to faith in him because he provided all of your salvation. And he's the one that's ultimately going to perfect your faith in him. It's through his atoning work. It's through his perfect work that's going to lead to the perfection that is going to happen in your life and in mine. You remember the passage in Philippians 1, verse 6, it says, and I'm sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. See, discipleship must be Christ-centered. Discipleship must be cross-centered. It must be the work that he's done. Discipleship must be word-centered. It needs to be founded on the word of God. Discipleship must be spirit-enabled, and discipleship must be for the glory of God. That type of discipleship will change people's lives. Remember in James, James was writing and he was saying that there are people who claim to have faith and have no what? They have no works, no deeds. And he says, can that type of faith be really saving faith? And he says, it can't be. That real saving faith is not just hearing the good news of faith, but showing fruit in your life. And that happens in the standard of discipleship. So what does a disciple look like? A disciple starts to grow in the character and conduct of Christ. A disciple has the attitudes and the actions of Christ. A disciple has beliefs and behaviors in Christ. Flip with me to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is writing to these Ephesian believers And he is talking about what it means to grow in Christ. And he began the book by talking about the amazing things about what we have in Christ. And then he gets into verse 12. He basically says that discipleship is about maturity in Christ, growing in Christ. He says this in verse 12, to equip the saints for the ministry, work of ministry, and for the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body joined together, held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Discipleship is about maturity. Discipleship is that God has given you leaders who teach you the word and preach the word to you. A means of discipleship is that God prepares you as people through the service of your leaders. But then you take that good news, that message that you've learned, and you share it with others. The goal of discipleship is Christ-likeness, so that we start to resemble him. And he's telling us to stop acting like kids. See, kids are immature, and and kids are unstable, and, and kids are vulnerable. 
See, they open themselves up to every wind of doctrine that is out there. And as you grow in discipleship, you get to know what the word says. And you get to understand how you practically apply it in life. And then you get to be able to teach other people what it is. And as you do that, you open yourself up to the fact that you're not going to be growing in ignorance, but you'll be growing in wisdom. You're not going to be growing in rebellion. You're actually going to be growing in submission. You're going to start to grow in a newness in your life. You're going to forget the things that are behind. You're going to press forward to the things that are ahead. Two things happen with kids. For kids to change and for kids to grow, they first need to, act, they need to realize that they're a kid. See, if I don't realize that I need to learn more about God, I will never learn more about God. There's nothing wrong with saying I'm a kid in Christ. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with saying I don't understand and I don't know. But the first thing you need to do is to realize you're a kid. The second thing you need to do is to, uh, to seek somebody to help you grow in Christ. A couple more passages I want you to consider. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter in this book is talking to a believers and he's saying that this is who you need to know who you are. I think I've shared with you before that there, there are six essential questions that I want to try to get somebody to answer in their lives. And I think discipleship helps you to answer these six essential questions. The first question is, who am I? I need to know my identity. And so if I can understand my identity in light of God's word, life is so amazing. But it's not just my identity. It's got to be the intentionality of my life. What's the purpose of your life? An author wrote a book that became extremely popular years ago about the purpose of your life. And millions of people bought that book. Why? Because every single one of us want to know what the purpose of our lives are, the intentionality of our lives. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? See, at best, God gives me 70, 80, 90, 100 years, but I'm going to spend billions of years in eternity with him. Or I'll spend billions of years in eternity without him. Where am I going? Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? What's true? That's an essential for today. Humanity today based truth on what people think. And they base truth on their own opinions. And God has given us the truth in his word. And he's given us you the opportunity to know the truth. And that moves you to the fifth question. What is right? It's not simply knowing what is true, but what's the right thing to do in the midst of life? And that moves us to the last question. Is Christ sufficient? Is Christ enough for you? Well, in this passage in First Peter chapter 2, Paul and um, Peter answers these questions amazingly for you. He says in verse 9, but you are what? A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not the people of God, and now you are. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. So that's a, see, that's who you are. And that comes from being able to be in God's word and learning who you are. Because I am holy. I am chosen. I have a ministry. And if you can understand that and grab hold of that, that is an amazing tool, amazing opportunity. And he's called you out of his darkness 
into his marvelous light. And he says, Behold, beloved, verse 11, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from fleshly passions that war against your soul and keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when you speak against the evildoers, they may see your good works and do what? Glorify God. So my job here and your job here is to know who I am. My job here and your job here is to know why we're here. So let me try to boil it down. What is discipleship? If we take all of these passages together, I think discipleship tells me that it's first of all a process. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says that for unveiled faces, beholding as a glass, the glory of the Lord, we're changed in the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. There's not a perfect person here. We look to one that is perfect, Christ. And what God is looking to do in your life by the work of the Holy Spirit is to take you day by day so that you start to look more and more like Christ. Discipleship is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. But discipleship is, secondly, it's about change. It's transformational. I am vitally concerned when I see people who have claimed faith in Christ for decades and there's been no change in their lives, no fruit. There is either a clear element that they don't know Christ, they've never been saved, or they have not been discipled. Transformational. Discipleship is lifelong. You're never going to get to a place in your life where you've arrived until you see him face to face. Discipleship also must be comprehensive. That a ministry here must be Christ-centered, word-centered, gospel-centered in all that we do. Whether it's the smallest ministry or the smallest kids to the oldest people here in our church, the same message must be there. Discipleship must be there to be comprehensive. Discipleship is also, importantly, it's relational. You cannot grow in Christ in isolation. Remember in Proverbs it says, iron sharpens iron? If you are not in a relationship with somebody that is sharpening you, and if you're not in a relationship with somebody that you're sharpening, you're missing God's call for your life. So you have opportunities here at the chapel. You have Sunday morning adult Bible fellowships. You have Sunday school programs for the kids. We have Bible studies that are here. And Lord willing, when we have our building, we'll have even more things that are there for you. There are opportunities, but you need to be able to rub shoulder with shoulder with people in order to grow in faith. Discipleship is relational. Discipleship is about the O word, obedience. Discipleship is that I hear God's word and I obey him and I follow you, Christ. Discipleship is directed by the Holy Spirit. Discipleship results in fruitful ministry. Discipleship changes lives. I think the steps of a good discipleship prospect is this. It's got to be gospel-centered connecting. You will never grow alone. It has to be gospel-centered growing. I need to be able to look at my life and to say, a year ago, I am different today than I was a year ago. And 10 years ago. And 15 years ago. And then gospel-centered serving. See, discipleship is not just what I receive from someone else. It's the fact that I've been given this amazing gift, and now I share it with others. I think I've told you that I think that there are at least three relationships that you should have in your life. One person who is spiritually older than you more mature than you, somebody that you could sit at their feet and hear the message and they can challenge you. 
There's a second relationship that you need. is a peer relationship. Somebody that's on your same level and is challenging you. Iron sharpening iron. There's a third relationship that every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ should have. You should have somebody that you're mentoring. Somebody that you're discipling. Somebody that you're sharing that good news and message with in lives. Well, God changes us through vital relationships. And the only way that's going to happen is to recognize that God has got a message that he's given you. He's got a message that he's given me. And we have the privilege of sharing that message today. I pray that our church becomes a church that isn't just even a great evangelism church. That's great. But a growing church, a fruitful church, a church that resembles Christ, that when somebody walks through the door, they see something different in your life and in mine. Lord, I pray 